All right, so we've got a, quite a bit of ground to cover in terms of verses, so uh, just buckle up. I'm not going to read the whole passage up front. We'll read it throughout our time uh, as we go, so a little bit different. But I'm going to go ahead and open us with a word of prayer, so if you'd join me. Lord, so grateful uh, for the opportunity to look at your word. So thankful for this time you've given us to um, yeah, dive into scripture and be challenged and encouraged in our hearts. Uh, convicted, we pray, uh, by your Holy Spirit to... Uh, follow after you with all that we've got. Uh, Lord, we recognize that everything we have has come from you, and so um, we, just, we just give everything back. We just declare it's all yours, our entire life, uh, our talents, our treasures, uh, everything is yours, Lord, and we give ourselves to you. Um, God, help us uh, to have that kind of faith, to give everything back to you um, and hold nothing back. Uh, Lord, we pray for our time in the Word, that you will be exalted and lifted up. Um, thank you for this time, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're reading through Judges, um, and today we're talking about the story of Jephthah. We're going to actually spend a couple weeks in Jephthah. Uh, we got this week and next week in Jephthah. Um, one thing that I've kind of pointed out all along with the book of Judges is that there's basically two major ways that you can interpret the book of Judges. And one way is to say that the judges are very fallen men and sometimes barbaric men uh, who are used in spite of their, you know, broken religious belief uh, to help save Israel from their enemies. And the Israel itself is also broken. Uh, the other interpretation, which is the interpretation I've been taking all along, actually, uh, is that the judges are righteous that these are the good guys, and they're the only good guys, um, and they've been chosen by the Lord to save Israel, who in spite of the Lord saving his people through these righteous judges, they continue to walk in disobedience and do evil in the sight of the Lord. And so uh, this passage is fun because Jephthah is recorded as giving a burnt offering of his daughter to the Lord. And so we're going to get to that at some point. Um, in one interpretation of that, you would say, oh yeah, he's a barbaric human sacrificer, and the Lord still used him, right? That's one interpretation. Our interpretation is that we've got some things to understand about the passage, and so I'll walk you through why I think he didn't actually kill his daughter, okay? Um, but we're going to start from the top, uh, verse 1 to 3. Uh, we get the story kind of set up of Jephthah the Gileadite. It says this in verses 1 to 3. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. And Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Um, just a geographical note for you, the area that we're talking about is modern-day Jordan, so on the east side of the Jordan River is where we're at, um, not far from Israel, but, you know, just the outside there. Uh, so Tob is like just northeast of uh, Galilee on the east side of the Jordan there. And so Jephthah, we, we learn a few things about him. He's a Gileadite, so he, he grew up east of the Jordan, Jordan in Gilead. He's known as a mighty warrior. Uh, Gilead, his, uh, his father, had him with a prostitute, but also had many sons. 
And so these sons look at Jephthah and say, you're not going to have any inheritance among us. We're casting you out. And it says Jephthah was cast out, and he was followed by worthless fellows who collected around him. Likely other people that were cast out, right? Like, he was, he's not the only person uh, that is cast out, and Jephthah is surrounded by worthless fellows, so to speak, cast out individuals, but the Lord is with him. And so this is Jephthah, the, the basic ge- geographer of him. Verse 4 gives us kind of a setup of what's going on in Israel. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. So Jephthah flees his brothers, and after Jephthah flees, the Ammonites come and begin to make war on the Israelites, verse 4. And so when this happens, we see that the Gileadite leaders respond by reaching out to Jephthah. And we're going to look at verses 5 to 11 as they reach out to Jephthah and see Jephthah's response to them. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah back from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, then I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. So, some of the things that I want to point out to you here, first of all, uh, the elders, the leaders of Gilead, were the ones that cast Jephthah out because he's the son of a prostitute. We're going to kick him out. We don't want him around. We're going to take his inheritance. It's not rightly his. We're going to keep it instead, and they're going to kick him out. And when they come to a place where they're getting attacked, they know that Jephthah is a, right, a mighty warrior, and they go and seek his help, and they bring him back. And uh, something that I want you to notice in this is the number of times that the Lord is at the center of this communication, right? And Jephthah's the one that brings the Lord up. The people come out to Jephthah and say, we need your help. And Jephthah says, "Um, did you not drive me out, right? In verse 7, and why have you turned to me now? And they say, we've turned to you. Uh, because we're at war and we need your help, right? That's like, that's their obvious response. And Jephthah says, okay, just remember that this is, in one interpretation, an evil man. In my interpretation, I'm saying this is a righteous man. Jephthah says, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, who's going to win the battle? Jephthah? No, the Lord is going to win the battle. In Jephthah's mind, the only one that's going to win the battle is the Lord. The Lord will give them over to me. And the elders said, the Lord witnessed between us. They accept that, right? And it says uh, in verse 11, when they come together and make uh, make him the head, Jephthah spoke all his words there 
before the Lord at Mizpah. Um, interesting, it's kind of a side note, really. Um, Mizpah is the place where Laban caught up with Jacob when he was leaving Jacob's uh, uh, servant, uh, servanthood to Jacob. So he's leaving with Rachel and Leah, and Laban comes and chases after him. Mizpah is the place where they made covenant to say, we will not pass against these rocks to go to war against each other anymore. So I thought that was interesting. Anyway, side note. Um, okay, so the leaders of Gilead reach out to Jephthah. Jephthah comes back and says, okay, if the Lord gives them over to me, then I will be your head. So Jephthah is putting, again, first, this first moment, he's putting the Lord in the middle of this. The Lord is the one that's going to win this battle. All right, so the Ammonites come into the picture, verse 12. Uh, verses 12 and 13, uh, Jephthah confronts the enemy. Verses 12 says this, Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, do, uh, What do you have against me that you come to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan, and now therefore restore it peaceably. Okay? So Ammon is saying, You guys came out of Egypt and took this land from us. And Jephthah's saying, why are you coming to war against me? We have this land, right? So there's a dispute. There's a dispute about whose land is this land, right? Um, so Jephthah begins to recount the history of the people of Israel. Jephthah, this one is, that is supposedly, you know, an evil man, right? What does he do? This, I'm, again, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. I think he's righteous. He's about to recount the entire history of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. He doesn't pat himself on the back. He doesn't uh, bang his sword, you know, to say, I'm the big one that's going to come and fight you. Like, come and get me, right? No, he says, the Lord is the one that gave us the land that you're in. Let me tell you how he gave it to us. So he says this in verses 14 to 13. So Ammon sends his people back and says, hey, you're, the reason we're coming to war against you is because you are taking the land that is ours. And Jephthah says, let me set the record straight here. Verse 14, Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites. And he said to them, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But, however, when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom wouldn't listen. And they sent also to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Okay, so we're rewinding like hundreds, hundred years or so, right? Maybe, maybe a couple hundred years back to when the people of Israel came out of Egypt. Jephthah saying to the Ammonites, you remember when the people of Israel came out of Egypt. Lots of people remember when the people of Israel came out of Egypt. Rahab knew when they came out. Moab knew when they came out. The whole region knew when millions of people exited the most powerful country of the time. Okay, this is history. <laughs> He's saying, you know when Israel came out of Egypt, this is what happened. They came to Gadesh. They asked for permission to pass through the most efficient way to the land the Lord was giving to them. And Moab and Edom rejected their peaceable request to walk through the land, right? So they remain at Kadesh. Then, verse 18, they instead, they journeyed through the wilderness 
and went around the land of Edom and around the land of Moab and arrived on the east side of the land of Moab and camped on the other side of Arnon, which is the area that we're talking about here. But they did not enter the territory of Moab, for Arnon was the, bo uh, the boundary of Moab. Israel then sent messengers to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, let us pass through your land to our country. Right? They're trying to make their way back to Canaan, to Israel, where the Lord has given them this land. But, verse 20, Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. In contrast to Moab and, uh, um, and Edom, he actually assembled an army where Israel was camped. Moab and Edom just let them go by around their border. Sihon said, I don't trust you. And so they assembled an army and came to the place where, where Israel was camped and fought with Israel there. And listen again to where he gives, uh, gives the glory here. Verse 21, And the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated him, them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites who inherited that country. And they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and the wilderness to Jordan. So then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites before his people, Israel, and are you to take possession from them? So he's saying, no, actually, this was your land until you tried to annihilate us. And then when we fought, the Lord gave your people into our hand. That's actually what happened. And so he's saying, I'm sorry, but this is our land now. The Lord has given it over to us. So he recounts this to them. And then um, instead of kind of like, I don't know, rubbing that in his face necessarily and saying like whatever, he says, okay, that's the history, right? Israel gave Sihon into our hand, and since then we have, we have had this land, so, we, you know, like this is our land. Verse 24 to 27, he challenges the Ammonites with this. Verse 24, will you not, dispossess, will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all that the Lord, our God, has dispossessed before us, we will possess. He says, listen, we both serve gods. We believe our gods are in charge. So, you know, if Chemosh wants to give this land back to you, let Chemosh do so, right? Your God against my God. Let's see what happens. He's not boasting in the strength of his army. He's not boasting in the might of his, you know, being a warrior. He's saying, listen, the Lord is going to decide this. So if you want to put your God up against my God, that's fine. Let's see what happens. Verse 25, now are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever count, uh, contend against Israel? No. Or did he ever go to war with them? No. While Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages and Orior and its villages and all the cities on the banks of the Arnon 300 years, why did you not deliver them within that time? It says, this has been the situation for 300 years. Why has no one come up against us in that time? Are you better in some way? Right? So finally, he says, verse 27, I therefore have not sinned against you, and 
you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. Jephthah says, this is land that God has given us. And if your God wants to take it away from us, that's fine. Let's see how it works out. But this is the land the Lord God has given us. And, uh, you know, it's definitely something in our current time we don't really comprehend or think about when we're talking about war, especially in the Middle East. Okay, this isn't just like, I want this land or this is my land for a long time. This is my God against your God. Okay, this is religious war. Okay, this isn't, this isn't about uh, who told who what's land is what. Okay, this is about who God told was the land. And so when we talk about wars in the Middle East, this is the kind of context that we're talking about. We're talking about Jephthah who's saying, the Lord God of Israel, he's the one that gave us this land. So if Chemosh wants to give you the land back, that's fine. But you're going to have to contend with the Lord God. Okay, so this is Jephthah's challenge to the Ammonites. He says, hey, listen, we can go to war if you want, but the Lord is going to defend us. Let him be the judge between us this day. So far, does it sound like a guy that's like <laughs> not following the Lord to you? I feel like he's pretty much listening to the Lord in this. I don't feel like he's boasting in himself. Okay, we're good. Um, Verse 29 on to 40 uh, recounts two things. And really, kind of as a side note, it, it recounts the war against the Ammonites, which is, long story short, they went. Okay, I, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you knew it, but just as a side note to the whole 40 verses, there's two verses in here, verse 32 and 33, that say, Israel beat Ammonites, and so they kept their land. Okay? It's like a side note to the whole progression of the story. And it shouldn't come as any surprise to us in the book of Judges that the judge that the Lord raised up won. I mean, I, I know you're not shocked by that, right? This is, this is the story. We're actually celebrating what the Lord has done through judges, and in fact, they did win. So it's really, narratively, he just says, hey, yeah, they fought against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand, period. That's it. Okay. But uh, on the outside of that statement, we get this story about Jephthah and his daughter. So, so first, we've gotten a story about uh, how Jephthah was cast out by his family and then received back leadership, right, in Gilead, and then stood against the enemies of Israel powerfully in the name of the Lord, not in the name of Jephthah, right? And the Lord defended him. And now uh, we come to this interesting story about Jephthah and his daughter. Verse 29 to 31. Bef this is before the war happens, okay? Verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, just like tag that. The Spirit of the Lord is on Jephthah. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. So he's headed to war. The Spirit of the Lord is on him. And on the way, verse 30, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, okay, my interpretation is he is making a vow to the Lord in the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is on him when he makes this vow. I think that's why it's all together like this. He says, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. 
and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. In one interpretation of this, this is a rash and irresponsible vow that puts his daughter at risk. I can't see past the fact that the Spirit of the Lord is on Jephthah as he makes this vow. And the Lord led him to say, I give you, Lord, I give you whatever comes out of my doors to greet me, I give you. I don't think, I actually don't think that Jephthah has any doubt that he's going to defeat the Ammonites. He says, the Lord judged between us. The Lord has kept us in this land for 300 years. He's the one that defended us against Moab and uh, Edom and Sihon. He's the one that drew me back from being cast out by my brothers without an inheritance to lead Israel. This is the Lord. And so I don't think there's any doubt in his mind that he's going to win. I think he's in the spirit of the Lord saying, Lord, I give you whatever comes out of my door because I'm going to win. Like, you're going you're gonna to win this battle, and so I give you whatever comes out of my door as a vow to you. The Spirit of the Lord is on him, and he says, I give you whatever comes to greet me when I return from this battle. Again, verse 32 and 33, uh, the Lord gave them into his hand, the Ammonites. Uh, he struck them from Aurora to the neighborhood of Mineth, the 20 cities, uh, with a great blow, and the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Jephthah wins. And again, verse 34, we come back. He comes back from war to his house, and uh, we don't know what his house looks like, but he gets back to his home. Verse 34, then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. Listen to the emphasis here. She was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. No other children, no kids, just this daughter, unnamed. We don't even know her name. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low and have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. He said, I made a commitment to the Lord to give whatever comes out of this door to him, completely, and I can't take it back. At this point, the daughter doesn't even know what he's really said, um, but she says, my father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, the Ammonites. This sounds like a daughter who's been trained up to trust the Lord, right? I mean, Jephthah says to her, I've made a commitment to the Lord. And she says immediately in return, then do it. Whatever he says is right. So she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone for two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. I am my companions. So he said to her, go, and then sent her away for two months, and she departed she and her companions, and they wept for her virginity on the mountains. Verse 39 and 40, just the conclusion here. And at the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to the, his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel 
that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, for four days in the year. Um, a couple things I just want to point out about this specific piece before I move on to takeaways for, for the whole of the passage. Um, so, I'll just be blatantly honest. Like the, w- the reason why I'm taking this interpretation of Judges is because I'd studied under a gentleman that took this interpretation of Judges. Dr. Hugenberger, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. You know, look up his details. That'd be great. Go for it, okay? But... Um, he has a contrary opinion to the popular opinion that these judges are bad people. He says they're actually good. They're righteous. And so I've been challenged by that. And honestly, to this point, I think Jephthah is one of the ones that is uh, one of the biggest slam dunks for me in this, <laughs> in this perspective, <laughs> truly. Uh, he gives 34 reasons. I'm not going to give you all the 34 reasons, but he gives 34 reasons why it is unlikely that Jephthah sacrificed his daughter, like physically killed her, right, as a burnt offering in terms like burned or whatever. And there's a lot of those, so I'm not going to walk through all of those, but I'm going to highlight a few that really stood out to me. The first is that there are translation issues, and I've talked about this with the Old Testament. The Old Testament has translation issues. We actually don't know as much about Hebrew as we know about Greek, okay? It's weird because it's an older language, but actually in our study of Hebrew, we know less about its grammar, less about its words than we do about Greek. We're actually still dynamically learning about it, learning about its idioms, learning about its structure, all this. So, like, just, you know, remember that as you look at the word. So there's translation issues throughout Judges that we have to deal with. I'm not going to deep dive into those, but there are some in this passage that lead toward toward a question mark about how to interpret. Second, um, there's zero archaeological evidence or evidence at all of uh, a child of this age being sacrificed. Okay? We have evidence of child sacrifice by Chemosh and to, other, to Chemosh and other gods um, of, of children, like young children. Right? We have record of child sacrifice among the other gods, but at this age of a teenage girl, of a teenager at all, we don't have that recorded anywhere. It wasn't a thing. The ancient Near East did not practice child sacrifice and so you either, it's kind of like the, the, the famous quote from C.S. Lewis about Jesus. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord, right? Like that thing. It's kind of this way with Jephthah. He's either the biggest monster of the ancient Near East, or he's actually following through with something that he said he would do and is righteous. This is the only two kind of options. Um, there's zero evidence for human sacrifice of an older child. There's no description of a sac- the sacrifice in the text. Like, there's no description of it. We talk about mourning that she was a virgin. That's the mourning, right? We don't mourn her death. We're mourning that she was a virgin. Um, Nobody intervenes to stop it, and she doesn't run away. If your dad was about to kill you for a burnt offering, I mean, maybe you'd just, oh, yeah, okay. There's no struggle, you know, zero struggle, and no one thinks it's a bad idea what is going to happen, okay? Um... Another reason, the vow is not condemned. Scripture does not condemn this vow, ever. In fact, he's in the spirit of the Lord when he makes the vow. The Lord, I don't know if you know this, but he's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. And he was with Jephthah when this vow is made. He 
foresaw what was going to happen when this vow was made. He knew what was going to happen, right? He knew that his daughter was going to come out first, right? He knew what would it cost him to give up his daughter to this, to this offering. The vow is not condemned in Scripture anyway, in, anywhere. Uh, Jephthah's not a monster. He's not condemned anywhere. In fact, he's spoken highly of by Samuel in 1 Samuel 12. Samuel's talking about, you know, setting up the king of Israel, and he is, speaks well of Jephthah. He says, do you not remember Jephthah who was risen up by the Lord to save you? Finally, um, and a bit more on this uh, later as I conclude, but it actually fits the context. It fits it really well. Uh, Jephthah has been given back leadership, given back uh, an inheritance in a way, right? His brothers cast him out, removed his inheritance, and then they called him back to help fight against the Ammonites. And so he's just gotten it back. And then in this moment, he, for all intents and purposes, disinherits himself again. He has no child. He has no son. I think it fits the context. Okay. So, you've got my stance. There's my spiel. I believe Jephthah's a righteous judge. Other people don't. That's fine. There's Christians on both sides of that debate. But let's distill this down to what we can take away. And I just want you to, to catch this word, everything. Everything. <laughs> the Lord wants everything. So three things I want us to remember from this passage. First, remember everything the Lord has done. The one thing that I take from this passage is that Jephthah remembered everything that the Lord had done. He remembered it all. Okay? He remembered how his people were brought up out of Egypt. Not many people are remembering the Lord during this time of Judges. They're serving the Baals. They're not remembering the Lord. They're not serving the Lord. Jephthah remembered the Lord and what he had done. He went from being cast out with no inheritance to a leader of the armies of Israel. He remembers what the Lord did for him. He knows it in his heart. He remembered all the Lord had done to him, and he, in fact, told what the Lord had done for the people of Israel and for him to the nations. He went to the Ammonites and said, this is what the Lord has done. He actually has given us this land that you were trying to take back. For 300 years he has given it to us. And you would come against the Lord. Remember everything that the Lord has done. Second, believe everything the Lord has said. Believe everything the Lord has said. Uh, Judges eleven twenty seven said this, I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. Jephthah knows, believes completely that he is going to defeat the Ammonites. He is fully trusting, based on what he knows of the Lord, remembering what the Lord has done, he says, okay, here I am. The Lord has clearly brought me back to this circumstance. I was cast out by my brothers, and now he's put me in leadership. The Lord has done that. 
And so this is why, because we're going to defeat the Ammonites. The same reason why David was called up to defeat Goliath. Nobody else believed that the Lord was mighty. Jabeth believed that the Lord was mighty and would defeat the Ammonites. If the Lord went up against Chemosh, the Lord would win. He knew. He believed everything that the Lord had said. So he, re he remembers what the Lord has done. He believes what the Lord has said. And finally, he gives everything back to the Lord. Everything. Right? I mean, Jephthah, after receiving back an inheritance, can you imagine how it feels? Like you lose your inheritance completely. The Lord powerfully restores it to you. And then in the spirit of the Lord, you make a vow and he takes it back. He's been put in a position for his heritage to lead Israel, and he gives it up to the Lord in committing his daughter to the Lord. He says, the Lord is in charge. The, the, shop, the shop is closed, sir. Yeah, yeah, it's closed. we're open Monday. Yeah, 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 it's okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, after, after receiving back all that he could have wanted, the Lord calls him to give it back away in the giving of his daughter. His daughter is the only means of progeny that he has. We Actually, it's interesting. We don't hear about his wife. There's no expectation of his wife coming out of the house. Only a daughter. So we don't actually know. Where is his wife? No son, no daughter. He gives everything to the Lord. And so I challenge us to, man, Take up the banner of Jephthah. Like, look at your life. Remember what he's done. Where has he brought you? It's a really good discipline to, like, journal, remember, write down, recall, meditate on what the Lord has done. Because it is very easy to forget what the Lord has done when we come up against a challenging week, challenging day, challenging hour, <laughs> right? We're like, Lord, where are you? Right? And we question him. We say, I can't see you anywhere. And he's like, I've been here all along. <laughs> so make a practice of being like Jephthah and remember what the Lord has done. And don't stop there. Believe that he's going to accomplish it again. He's been completely faithful to you your whole life. And so believe in this moment of challenge, this moment of testing and trying, whatever you may be in, believe that the Lord has done and will do everything that he said to you. Uh, I don't know what the Lord has said to you, okay? But I believe if you have, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have the Spirit of God living in you. The Spirit of the Lord is in you, not just upon you in a moment. The Spirit of the Lord lives in you. So what has the Lord said to you? Don't forget it. Return to it. Go back and remember what it was the Lord said to you. I mean, sometimes life gets real confusing. We don't know what the Lord's doing, and I'm, I'm, I'm there, okay? I don't know what the Lord's doing, okay? I think I've been pretty blunt about that with everybody. I have no idea what he's doing. 
right now in my life. I don't, okay? But I know because of what God has done that he will do it again. I believe him. So return to what the Lord has said to you about what your life is supposed to look like and how you're supposed to follow him. Return to it. Remember what he said. And then believe that God's going to make a way despite any obstacle that you might see in that. If you have to, man, be like Jephthah. Test it. Go, man, the Lord versus everything the world has to offer me. There's no contest. I think you know that. There's no contest. There's, there's no uh, belief system like this. There's no situation where God steps down and gives himself up for you. No one does that. That's not a thing anywhere else. And, and there's no wisdom of man that's going to solve your problems right now. Okay? Only the Lord Almighty. So remember what he's done for you and believe that he will again do it. In your response, give everything. Give it all. Simple challenge. Usually we talk about tithing and say, oh, 10%. You know, just give 10% of your life to the Lord and then he'll take care of the 90 and we forget that uh, the Lord's call in our life isn't to like segment off a portion of our life to appease him. <laughs> it's not the Lord's call in our life to go, this little section of my life I'm going to give to the Lord, and the rest I'm just going to do with as, as I need to. No. The Lord's call to Jephthah was, do you trust me for your inheritance? Right? Could you imagine being in his experience? I've received back all Everything that I wanted, I received it back, right? And like looking ahead going, oh man, I'm the leader of the Gileadites, like this region, I could really do some good stuff here, I could really like exalt the Lord in this, I think he'd be righteous in that, right? I think he has good plans that he's like wants to do. And the Lord says, yeah, this one big piece that you think is the linchpin of this, like your inheritance, your continued progeny, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna take that. Why? Why would he do that? He's still working on Jephthah's heart, just like he's still working on your heart and my heart. He says, what's the thing that you're trusting in ahead of me? And for Jephthah, even though it wasn't much, he was trusting in his daughter to fulfill his destiny, his dynasty. Okay? He wasn't malicious in that. He's just trying to put together the pieces, right? You and I have been there. We look at the information. We're like, okay, this is, I think this is how the Lord's going to work it out. And the Lord comes in and goes, mm, actually, sidetrack. <laughs> how many times has he done that? For, is it, has that happened to anybody else? Yeah? And so stop. Stop trying to figure out the Lord. Just give him everything. Say, God, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I give you today. And that's, because that's all I've got. Um, how can we do this? It's, it's pretty easy, actually. I love this story because I think it points forward to Christ. Um, just the, I mean, I think about Mary receiving the Lord's will when I think about Jephthah's daughter. Whatever you, whatever you want from me, Lord, may I be your servant. Yeah, I'll be committed to the Lord, right? 
and, and God looking down at this person that he's risen up and going like, yeah, yep, we're going we're gonna to sacrifice here, and then I'm still going to accomplish my will. God did this. He, he gave up everything for us. Jesus, uh, uh, like, apart from our comprehension of how it's even possible, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't consider it something to be grasped. He separated himself so much from that position that in his humanity, he was completely turned aside from by the Father. Why? Because he looked forward to the joy that was set before him. He scorned the shame of the cross because he knew that something was forward ahead of him. He didn't have to trust in what was physical and what was seen. He knew that the joy set before him was what he was there for, and he did it. And so that's the same way we do it, right? You come up to something and you go, man, I don't see how this is working out. Guess what? That is an opportunity for you to uh, be sanctified by the Lord Jesus himself. Because the Lord has been there and has felt that the way you're feeling that right now. When you don't see the answer, guess what? He's there with you. Okay? If you think it can't be done, it probably can't be done by human hands. And that's what you need to learn, right? That God is going to accomplish this. The Lord is the one that defeated the Ammonites. The Lord is the one that uh, in the end actually allows Jephthah to be celebrated year after year after year after year. He thought his inheritance was removed, but actually the celebration of his daughter goes on four times a year, all year, right? His name was lifted up. His inheritance was removed, but he was remembered. And so the Lord really blesses uh, Jephthah in that. So remember what the Lord has done. Believe what he said and give him everything you have. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful uh, for your word, so grateful for how much it challenges our hearts. And um, yeah, God, we're just, we're just challenged by these judges. Um, Lord, we desire to um, have faith like they had faith, Lord. Uh, we want to trust you as much as they did in the face of adversity. Um, we want to be able to give everything to you, whatever you ask of us, God. And we also uh, desire to be able to train up our children to see those ways, or to see that, that you are the one that is enough for us. You are, you are everything to us. You are all that we desire, all that we um, uh, long for. You are the provider of everything that we have and everything we will have. And so, God, we just we trust you uh, with the unknown things in our lives. We trust you with the circumstances that are up against us. We trust you for uh, all the things that, that we see as obstacles, God. You see as opportunities to, to show us your glory and show us your saving power. And so, God, we, we thank you for this story of Jephthah and, and how, um, man, you, you restored his inheritance and, and then showed him that, that actually you want his everything, and so, God, we, we too just turn to you and say, you, you can have all that we have, Lord. We just desire to follow you, the Lord, the judge, the decider. We yield to you, Lord. We give you our decisions. We give you our every day, our everything. In Christ's name, amen.